started. I'm hitting record. Okay. Uh, welcome, everyone. Uh, my name is Joe. I'm this month's host of The Commentarians. And I'm Tim, TJ Stedman, author of Answers to Giant Questions. And uh, we're here to talk over your movies. <laughs> uh, hi, everyone. Welcome to The Commentarians. Is this Prairie Home Companion? Husband Bulge is now a part of my permanent vocabulary. <laughs> I saw a squirrel. I am going to point out real quick, this to me is like the most disturbing scene in the entire movie. Stop listening right now and go watch Firefly. Hey, this is my podcast. I'm sorry, sorry, Joe. <laughs> we are saying that not only have we been wounded, we survived, and there's a God who heals of these wounds. Jesus isn't about the isms. Uh, he's about his kingdom. Because it is kind of like this idea that Jesus died for all of our sins, except when you had sex. And Jesus doesn't cover that. Uh, welcome, everybody. As you, uh, as you just heard, uh, I'm Joe, and we're here to talk about Noah, and we're here with uh, Tim Stedman. How you doing? Yeah, pretty well, thanks. It's uh, middle of the night over here in uh, Western Australia, but uh, yeah, feeling fine, and uh, yeah, pretty excited about uh, talking about this movie. So you're from Australia. You're in Australia right now. Yeah. Uh, so as American, as an American here, I'd like to apologize for Outback Steakhouse, a restaurant, <laughs> an Australian themed restaurant that we have out here. I don't think the Bloomin' Onion is a delicacy in Australia, though still very delicious. <laughs> is that a thing in Australia? The Bloomin' Onion? I. Well, yeah, I don't know if. Uh... I don't know if anyone calls it that. Uh, we certainly don't mind a bit of onion in the barbecue, but um, sure. yeah, I I don't know if anyone actually refers to them as blooming onions. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's a delicious restaurant, but uh, it's a little heavy on the uh, the uh, stereotypes in that uh in that <laughs> establishment so do you have outback steakhouses in australia because i know they have taco bell in mexico and <laughs> so i can't imagine not very authentic at all but they still have them there yeah yeah i know i think there might be one or two in in uh some of the bigger cities they've they've spared us here in uh, in western australia oh that's um, good <laughs> yeah <laughs> so uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, you're an author. You wrote this really amazing book that uh, is really, really worth uh, worth people checking out. Yeah, um, Answers to Giant Questions is the name of the book. It, it's taken uh, oh, the best part of four years to write. Uh, and, and that's after more than a decade of research before I said to myself, you know, I should probably start writing this down. <laughs> um, so <laughs> it was a, it's a big undertaking. Um, yeah, if, if anyone wants to find it, the website is giantanswers.com. And uh, what, what do you tackle in that book? Uh, well, I got intrigued by uh, this word Nephilim that I came across in uh, Genesis 6 trying to figure out what it really meant and none of the explanations that I came across uh, immediately were uh, satisfactory they just didn't seem logical so I, I just had to dig around and 
uh, yeah, search out some some serious answers. Yeah, because uh, it sorry, but 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 that is like something that tons of people have tons of theories about, and no one really knows anything about it for real because the Bible doesn't go too deep into it itself. Yeah, that's right. It's uh, it's one of those things that really you've you've got to search very deep into the scriptures. You've got to uh, have a pretty broad uh, coverage of the Bible as well because it's just the tiniest little bits here and there. And tracing them all together is kind of like uh, if you imagine picking up a, a spider's web that's blown down in the wind and trying to put it perfectly back up in the tree. Yeah, that's um, a really good example. Yeah, that's a... Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Is it it a situation like, for example, 10,000 years from now, they pick, uh, somebody picks up a book about the present time, about our time, and they read the word car, and a person 10,000 years from now might not know what that is, because... If I'm writing a book about it and I describe a car, I'm not going to describe what a car is because everyone knows what a car is today. But uh, 10,000 years from now, they they have no idea. We just hear me use that word. Is Would it be something like that? I know like, because I'm not a, a Bible theologian. I'm not a scholar. I'm a dum-dum that uh, you know knows some. But that's why I love talking to folks like you because you actually – you know, and reading your, what you talk about in uh, in the uh, Raven Creek uh, Paddle Store group, you it's really uh, you really ground it so that it's understandable. So, <laughs> is that kind of would that be a good metaphor? Uh, yeah, well, it's it's kind of like that, but I think the scale is too big in our present time because we've got so many people and so much information, mm-hmm. and so there's a wealth of stuff you can draw on to reach conclusions. I think it would be far easier for someone in the future to figure out what a car is sure. than, oh. say, uh, if, if we were to scale it back uh, to, you know, 4,000 years ago mm-hmm. when you, you didn't have the kind of uh, resources for recording information. That's a good and, point, yeah. And so it's, it's, yeah, it's on a much smaller scale and it just makes it a lot uh, more difficult. All right. Well, then we're definitely going to be talking about this with this movie because uh, something similar to that may may appear for some reason. <laughs> it's a weird that uh, that they appear, but uh, it's it it makes for an interesting discussion. Yeah, it certainly does, and uh, they do take it on a on a different kind of angle to uh, what the Bible does with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that treatment of the the subject matter in the movie as a whole uh, offended a lot of people. That it just seemed to deviate from what they were expecting. Sure. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to uh, to go through and 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 figure out what right. the what the director was really trying to achieve with this. Yeah. So uh, let's let's. Uh, without uh, let's not drag this out longer. Let's actually get into the movie because there's a lot to talk about. <clears throat> I will say, like I mentioned before, I used to have a podcast called Drinking at Bible Study. 
where me and a friend would go through the Bible, like a few chapters at a time, and discuss it from a, like I said, a dumb dumbth perspective. A person who didn't grow up in the church, who's like, you know, knows something about the Bible, but like more of a, you know, a layman's person's perspective on the Bible. So I'm going to have, uh, that's, that's where I'm at. I'm the layman here. So I'm going to have a, a lot of questions because a lot of information is given within the first few minutes. A ton of yeah. information is given to bring us up to speed to Noah. So I'm going to ask you what is in the Bible, what was made up, because I've read the story a ton of times, but a lot of the other stuff is really, you know, like it's either biblical or it's not, or it's kind of biblical, but kind of not. So we're, we're positive zero. We'll get right into it. Again, if you haven't seen the movie, that's okay. Uh, because we're just going to be having a broad discussion. We're going to be discussing what's on the screen. If you'd like to watch it with us, then we're positive zero. We're going to count down three, two, one, then press play. That's when you guys press play. So let's get started here. Uh, three, two, one, play. Okay, we got stars falling from the sky. Yeah, straight away this takes me to First Enoch. Really? This is the... Oh yeah, you've you've got some twenty stars falling from heaven, sure, and they all assemble around this mountaintop. That's uh, straight from First Enoch, the descent of the the watchers. Wow, even the, the Paramount logo. There you go, and and you know they roll that for every movie, and it doesn't have any relevance for this time. It does. <laughs> yeah, kind of does. Wow. Yeah. So then we just got the Regency logo. It's blackout, and then let's see. In the beginning, there was nothing. And then you have a little snake slithering. Yeah, this comes up every time there's some sort of a vision. Yeah. And we have basically the Adam and Eve story right away. Like, you know, Adam and Eve were cast out of Eden, and then Cain, Abel, and Seth. So the descendants of Cain are all evil, right? Cain killed Abel that's, and fled to the east. Yeah, that's that's certainly the way they get portrayed here. And and then immediately we've got these stone giant right. things, the, which you know you never never saw that in the Bible, right? I know. So <laughs> what they're saying is that there's these angels called the Watchers that helped humanity after Cain was cast out of, uh, out of, you know, cast away because he killed his, uh, his brother. Uh, these creatures called the watchers, which are like stone creatures helped them build up society and it spread these, these societies spread and it became really evil. And these nations were evil. And so only the descendants of Seth were, uh, the third son, the third child of uh, Adam and Eve, they were the only good ones. That's what the movie's explaining. Yeah. So how accurate is that, besides the rock giants that helped the Cain's descendants build society up, how accurate is that to, uh, to the Bible, where Seth, their descendants are good, Cain's descendants are evil, yeah, I think a lot of people would like to see it that black and white. I'm not sure that it is. 
Um, I, I don't think it harms the narrative too much. Um, but yeah, you can you can definitely look through Seth's line and you can see that those guys weren't so great either. Sure. Um, but yeah, it takes a bit of digging into the text to find the allusions to uh, their their motivations and that sort of thing in in the text mm-hmm. uh, as you go through Genesis five and that sort of thing. Right. And so. so what I'm. Go ahead. So. Oh, I was just going to say, well, what, what, what we're seeing now is this uh, transfer of the uh, birthright to Noah. Right. Uh, interrupted by the, uh, the the line of Cain. Jubal Cain comes out and he's uh, trying to take over the land because they want to dig it all up. Mm-hmm. And those uh, shiny stones that he finds are uh, interesting. Yeah. And... They're calling it Soha. Now, uh, everyone will wonder where, where you find that in the in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, that actually comes from Genesis six, and uh, I think it's verse sixteen, where it talks about uh, Noah's instructions to build the ark, hmm. and he's told uh, in in some translations it says make a roof. For the ark, but in other translations, it'll say make a window. Hmm. And what it's actually meant to say, the word soha means brightness. And uh, they've used this idea in the film to capture this idea that these stones can be luminescent and they provide some sort of power, like you can make fire and you can bring light and, and this kind of thing. So it becomes a resource that they're competing over. Hmm. And of course, uh, well, and here's the thing about Darren Aronofsky, who I really, really like in a lot of in a lot of ways. He's not a believer, but uh, he does, but he does know what he's talking about. That's why he's able to use all these different, uh, you know, terms and all these different things, even though he doesn't use them directly the way the Bible uses them. Uh, but he does use a lot of Bible terminology, and he's an He's an environmentalist. A lot of his movies talk about environmentalism. And this is a little, this is no different. This is almost an environmentalist movie because, like you said, or like you mentioned in uh, one of your notes that you sent me, uh, Noah's, now Noah's an adult and his son picks a flower and Noah rebukes him because he says, you know, we're supposed to take care of the earth. We're not supposed to kill things. And later on, he talks about an like you know the Cain's descendants eat meat and Noah doesn't eat meat because you're supposed to take care of the earth yeah it's uh, very very strong in those themes isn't it yeah it was interesting to me that the film was controversial in that regard um and even even conservative uh viewers were uh, upset about the strong environmental themes Mm. um which, which to me says a lot about how we define right or wrong by our political alignments rather than what is actually right or wrong. Right. And, I, I mean, you know, we have different kinds of... We have, you know, different perspectives in our listenership, but it is very much an American thing, I feel. I don't know how that plays out in other countries or, like, in Australia, for example, but here, environmentalism, you know, guns, 
these things can be left or right. They could be good or bad. But it is very much drawn by political lines. Very conservatives. Yeah. A lot of conservatives don't like environmentalism or don't think that it's as important uh, to you know other things. I, I don't mean to paint with a broad brush, but it is very political. And uh, it doesn't have to be. No, that's right. So this scene that we're seeing right now fascinates me. They, they actually uh, sort of engineered for the sake of the film mm-hmm. um, all, all their own animals. They didn't use any real animals in the, in the movie at all. Right. And they've just slightly modified um, what natural animals would look like and sort of came up with their own sort of, I guess, what we might imagine that early animals might have looked like in the past right we I, th- have, I thought that was fascinating yeah we have uh, a couple of gentlemen chasing down uh what looks like a, a kind of a wolf a kind of a dog creature but it has a scales on it and they're ch- they're hunting it down to eat because they eat meat and of course like i said uh, noah doesn't eat meat because he's he believes in taking care of the earth that god gave them and he's actually burning the animal uh, as a uh, as a sacrifice, as a uh, to honor the animal, we we don't know what the director's intent was with the scene. But I, yeah. I got a suspicion that is to do with um, like a, a holiness kind of thing. Um, what you find in uh, in uh, later sections of the Torah, you have this. A thing called the Karem, which is to destroy something so that it is given to God because it's inaccessible to man. Once hmm. once you've made it useless to yourself, you've you've offered it to God. Wow. So yeah, it's an interesting idea. I'm not sure if that's what they were going for, but it, it made me think of that. Right. I, I think in the movie it was meant to be like, oh, they killed an animal and that's very sad. You're not supposed to do that, so let's burn it. And offer it to God as a tribute to both the animal and, you know, as a gift to God. Again, very, very heavy in the environmentalism, but again, drawn from the Bible. Yeah. Um, let, let, okay, so let me ask this, because this is something that a lot of young people ask, a lot of uh, non-believers ask, because it is such a fan, it's, it, the, the story of Noah is very short in the Bible, and it is very yeah. fantastical. It sounds like Greek mythology, practically, because these kinds of things don't happen today. And again, it, it explains how the, uh, the why we have rainbows. You know, it's it, did <laughs> the story of Noah actually happen? Oh, I believe it absolutely did. Okay. Um. Yeah, and and it's it's widely attested in other cultures as well. Sure, uh, and their their stories will vary slightly on the details, and I think we can just put that down to the fact that these are orally transmitted stories. Right. So, uh, you know, the first thing we've got to understand is that the, the Jewish people don't own this story because the Jewish people didn't exist until centuries later. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're picking up a story from. Uh, ancient Mesopotamia, and you know all the people that we see on the screen. You know they're not they're not Hebrew people. You know they're Mesopotamians. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you know it's it's one of those uh, situations where 
an event of a global significance is recorded by uh, all kinds of people. Yeah. And uh, we have the difficult task then of working out uh, how much of it is is common and how we understand that. Um, trying to be as sensitive to the culture as we can sure. to ascertain the uh, the truth of it. Yeah. And truth becomes a funny word too because you sort of you have to ask, well, is it the historicity that we should be concerned with or the truth claims or the lessons taught from it? You know, in, in what respect do we understand this as authoritative? And so those are questions that, yeah, people have been asking for centuries. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this scene we're looking at right now, Yeah. Noah's got the, having this vision. I just, when, when I see this, uh, I'm thinking of uh, Job. The book of Job, chapter twenty-six, mm. uh, where he talks about the the uh, the Rephaim, the the dead coming up from beneath the waters. Ooh. Yeah, and uh, um, there they are in the screen. It's quite uh, quite horrifying to watch. Right. Uh, so we have a uh, Noah has a vision. He wakes up in the night and he goes out of his tent, and he as he's walking on the sand because he's living on black sand. Uh, he sees that it's covered in blood, and then he, all of a sudden he's underwater, and there's the water's filled with dead people. And he, you know, he takes that to mean that God is going to destroy the earth. That's the vision that he has, and he and it's God telling him that he has to do something because the earth will be flooded, and all mankind will be destroyed. And he now has to he wants to travel to see his father to. You know, because his father talks to God, he has a deeper connection to God than Noah does, to see what is this vision about. Is it real? Is it going to happen? Was it just a nightmare? Because it seems real. Which, again, a little not not directly from the Bible, uh, but, you know, an interesting way of looking at it, because why would God destroy the earth? Yeah, yeah, well, certainly... uh... You know, God did communicate to Noah, and we're not told really uh, any specifics of how that was done. It was just mm-hmm. sort of, you know, God said to Noah. Um, we don't know if God said to Noah by, you know, a, a voice or a vision or a dream or whatever. Um, so I guess, you know, there's there's a bit of room for license there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it made uh, interesting viewing anyway, seeing that. And, and I think that's the difficulty for us is we just couldn't imagine something on such a large scale and so uh, terrifying to think that, you know, to, to be told that the world is going to be wiped out. Right. And, and to grasp that as a reality. Right? I'm not sure that any of us really are ready for that. Right, <laughs> I know. Well, be- because here's a perspective to look at it, and it's something that I talked to Emily about. She brought this up uh, in one of the earlier episodes of the podcast, that, for example, the story of Noah and the story of uh, Abraham when he's sacrificing his son, they're similar in the way that God is saying this is a, like because every culture has a flood story, right? That this God, the gods destroy the earth. 
And that's right. Every culture has a God that demands the ultimate sacrifice of sacrificing your child. That's every God. Yeah. And so why would God, why would a, why would a Hebrew God, a God that is good, a God that is love, ask Abraham to sacrifice his son to prove that your, uh, to prove that of your loyalty? And then he stops him right before and he says, okay, now you've proven it. You don't have to kill. Well, it still sounds very dark. But a way of interpreting that is, well, every culture has a sacrifice your child story. Eventually, the gods will demand this. And what that story is telling us is, well, God, you know, the story starts like every other story in every other culture. The gods ask you to sacrifice your son. And then this story, this Hebrew story, God, Yahweh, he's different in that he stops, no, he stops Abraham, sorry, and he says, I don't want this. I will provide a sacrifice. So it's kind of telling all the people of the time a story that they're familiar with, but then twists it at the end and says, no, I won't ask you for this. I will, I will actually provide a sacrifice myself. And the story of Noah is similar in that in every story and every other culture, the gods will destroy the earth if, you, if you're not good enough. And in this story, yeah. the Hebrew story, he, God says, I will never do this again. I will put down my bow and I will never do this again. Is sort of a, um, you know, uh, how would I put it? <laughs> well, you, you know what I mean? It's, it's different than every other culture. This God will, is not as brutal, oh, yeah, it's not it's, as evil as all the others. Uh, yeah. mm. so, any thoughts? Yeah, no, I think that um, as we watch this unfold we see uh that god communicates in some interesting ways sure and leaves a lot to the character to discern on their own and, and they've got to grow and become more like god himself in order to understand him mm. yeah Well, now we're confronted with these giants again. Right. This is very interesting in the, the use of the names here. Um, for one thing, we and we didn't touch on this before, but Noah's wife, um, Naima, mm -hmm. that's that's a uh, that's the name of Jubal Cain's sister, right? So he's the the she's the bad guy's sister, hmm. and. Uh, and we don't see any development of that as a sort of conflict. I thought that was interesting. Hmm. Um, now, the, the giants here are interesting too because one of them is named Og, and we have Og uh, appearing in uh, Deuteronomy in the, uh, the battles against the, the Rephaim in the Transjordan. Mm -hmm. uh, so he's supposed to be a man, not a, uh, not a watcher. A, a giant man at that, but uh, yeah, that's an interesting one. And the other one that gets named here is uh, Samyaza, who, uh, true to uh, First Enoch, is one of the Watchers hmm. uh, and one of, one of the chief ones. So it's interesting how those names have been chosen and sort of woven into the storyline. Right. So, like I said, the the Watchers have pity in the movie. 
the Watchers have are angels who have pity on mankind after they've been cast out of Eden. So they come down and they help humanity build society, build cultures, make tools. And of course, the humans, because they're evil, they create an evil society. And so God punishes the angels by encasing them in stone. That's what the Watchers are in the movie. So yeah. what are Watchers in the Bible, though? Okay, so they are basically... Uh, referred to as the sons of God in Genesis 6. Mm -hmm. And we take that to mean uh, not biological sons of, of Yahweh, sure. but they're a class of beings um, having, having similarities, but uh, they're nothing like equal to Yahweh. Okay, so lesser gods, if you like. Mm. Um, and angels is probably not quite the right... Uh, designation, you know, angels are basically messengers. These guys, they got a bigger job. Their job is um, to uh, assist uh, humankind. They've got uh, dominion over certain regions, and they help to determine the fate or destiny of mankind. So you see them uh, in certain passages of scripture participating in what we know as the Divine Council, mm. where they uh, take part in decision-making and God uh, will sort of have the final dis uh, the final say on what happens to mankind with their uh, input and participation. Yeah. I'm so fascinated by the whole Divine Council thing, just because my whole life, you know, as a child, I grew up Catholic, so I'm not, not too deep into the Bible, but certainly, you know, just the basic stories that everyone's told, that there's God, there's Satan, there's angels, there's demons, and that's it. But mm. the, the, the rankings of angels, what they do, the population, the fact that God says that they want to be, in, in Genesis says, the humans, they want to be equal to us. You know, God says us, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. the, that they're the other, the, you know, other cultures worship gods and the Hebrew people seem to recognize them as actual gods. They're not fake gods. There's not just one God. Yahweh is the God above all gods, but they aren't. Yeah, that's right. They're, they're, they're like, we as Christians today believe that, you know, there's only one God and all other gods are fake gods. They're not real. But in the ancient world, they seem to have believed that they actually are real, that the the Egyptian gods are real gods, but maybe they're not real, real gods. Like, you know, they're certainly not on the same level as God, as Yahweh, but they, no, no, they are seen the as gods. Thing. Yeah, we, we seem to have uh, misinterpreted a lot of the scriptures that talk about Yahweh being incomparable to other gods. Mm -hmm. You know, you sort of get that language like, who is like you? Oh, yeah. Lord, um, you know, there's no other God beside you. And uh, when you have that language of, you know, someone beside you, that's meant to say, like, equal to. So what they're really saying is there's no God that compares to Yahweh. Mm. You know, there's there's no God like the Creator in any respect. And, uh, you know, these other gods, that, that doesn't diminish their reality. Hmm. I... And and there's a, a YouTube channel called The Bible Project that actually suggests that those other gods still exist today 
and they are what human beings are worshiping now. Violence and, you know, uh, corruption, greed, that the, the evil, you know, gods that were worshipped back in the day, back in the ancient times, are still around manipulating humankind, turning people against God. I don't yeah, know. Again, I I'm not smart that. enough to know whether that's reality or not, but it's really fascinating thing to think mm -hmm. about. Yeah, no, well, uh, that, that's a view I hold as well. And uh, I think a, a, a close reading of uh, the primeval history, so Genesis 1 through 11, uh, really sets the stage for understanding that through the rest of the Bible. Mm. Um, these, these lesser gods, yeah, that, they haven't gone away. Uh, I know that a lot of people uh, talk about them being sort of chained up in in uh, some sort of underground prison, you know, like they're in hell or they're in uh, Tartarus or someplace like that. Um, but I think we make the mistake of taking that language too literally. Like if you dug a hole in the ground, you would find a place where these angels are. Hmm. Um, and, you know, I think that's a bit misguided. I mean, just as much as... You're not going to climb a mountain high enough to to walk into heaven either. Oh, but we tried. You know? <laughs> oh yeah, but but this is this is the the language of inaccessibility. You know, this is this is uh, status and hierarchy and function and all those kind of things, rather than you know bricks and mortar and and you know the physical stuff of of earth. Yeah. And and so this language is supposed to help us to understand. How accessible these things are to mankind. Everything is about function in the in the scriptures. It's it's very much um, man centered as far as you know. It's it's what we can see, what we can attain, um, what's accessible and useful to us. And uh, and where it's not, then you know it's talked about as being out of our reach. Hmm. I love this. Uh, this scene with uh, Anthony Hopkins as yeah. uh, Methuselah. He plays such a good part. Yeah, he does. And Methuselah, real character in the Bible? Yeah. Yeah, and I think they portrayed it really well, too, to see that uh, he manages to live until the flood uh, comes. Hmm. Um, which, yeah, when you sit down and work out all the ages and, and you know, crunch all the numbers, that's, that's pretty much how it works out. Yeah. And he is uh, a, re a recluse. He's shut away in his, by himself in the mountains. But he, uh, I really like this character like you, but because he's such, he is a grandfather. You know, he's very sweet. He's very nice to his grandchild. You know, he's asked if, you know, they brought him berries. You know, <laughs> he's, he's just this really sweet, decent man. Yeah, yeah. He's very relatable. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, just... Love how he uh, interacts. So to me, he's he's the only uh, star of the film that really uh, is identifiable having that role in the family. Mm -hmm. um, because you just don't seem to get the same engagement out of the other characters like they feel part of a cohesive family unit. Right. But I really get that with... Uh, with Methuselah here. Yeah, and because Noah, he's very uh, he he's very strict. He's very emotionally mm. distanced from his children. You know, his child wants to pick a flower and he's like, "Nope, you can't do that. We have to protect the earth." 
oh, all mankind has to be destroyed. I guess it does. Uh, and then later on, he actually says, well, I guess we have to die, too, because we're just as evil. Like, he's, he's very one note. Yeah. He's very steadfast. And again, his wife, even his wife is very compassionate and loving. And, you know, the children are, you know, well, they're kid actors. They're not the best. But, you know, I, I really do like, I think it's Ham, how he reacts to the others, to the, uh, you know, to the, the Kane clan. But uh, we'll get to that. But yeah, like Anthony Hopkins is actually very human, very compassionate, very relatable. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is interesting. They're talking about the, uh, you know, their their own uh, versions of the apocalypse, and Methuselah is talking about fire, and Noah's talking about water. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's very interesting. Do um, because yeah, it was uh, Enoch saw fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, we don't have Enoch in this film, so I take it that was passed down uh, from Enoch to Methuselah. Yeah. Uh, what do we say about that? There's an old uh, slave song that uh, African that uh, slaves here in America used to sing called, uh, it, well, it went, God gave Noah the rainbow sign, no more water but the fire next time. Suggesting right. that there will be another flood, but it will be a fire, a flood of fire, and that Jesus is the ark that will protect right. his family. This is symbolic in, in that, you know, the ark protects Noah and his family, the good, the decent people from the chaos outside, and Jesus, the ark actually represents Christ, and within Christ, we will be protected from the fire of the next flood how uh how would you interpret that would you uh yeah well i i think that uh that that's an accurate uh summation of it and i think there are so many divergent uh views on how that plays out it would be sure. it'll take us hours to get through it but <laughs> yeah. um but in in general terms, I think that that is spot on. I think that that's the the expectation of the Jewish people that that we inherit as Christians mm-hmm. uh, that that we do expect uh, that this world uh, will pass away in fire and be uh, recreated once more. Yeah, and I think that more than a few times it suggested that uh, the wire the the fire is a cleansing fire. It cleans and it purifies. So that's there's right. Some hope in the fire. It's not this, you know, not just purely horrible and despic, you know, and torturous. It's actually a cleansing fire. Yeah. Yeah. There's some talk in in this film actually about the um, the idea of water being a cleansing agent. Mm. Uh, but th- but that's an interesting one because. Uh, a close reading of the flood account shows that uh, after the flood is swept over, everything is in desolation. It's not necessarily this perfect, pure, clean, Edenic state that we might imagine, like everything's brand new again. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's an interesting uh, take on it here in the film. Yeah.
poor old Noah here is uh, starting to become very resolute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's trying to explain to the family what they're going to go through shortly. Yeah. It's, oh, man. It, I mean, the, and I don't know. Um, how how different would mankind think of the flood versus today? Because he obviously sees all of humanity as broken and evil, and he is very much in communication with God. He, you know, he knows that there is a God. He knows that he's there and speaking to him. Would he? It seems that God is very. I mean, Noah is very faithful. He just accepts his task. Yeah, you know, that really makes him different to uh, the the Jewish heroes, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because he doesn't set up any sort of challenge. Uh, you know, he doesn't go and bargain with God and, hey, what about if I could find, you know, 50 righteous people, you know, like right. Abraham did, you know, what about 45 righteous people, you know, instead it's just like, oh, well, yeah, if you said it, well, that's it. Yeah. Um, and he's very resigned to that. Yeah. Uh, so he really doesn't have that uh, that characteristic um, element that uh, that that we see in the in the Jewish heroes. Yeah. Um, although, so yeah, that... yeah. Although uh, one of my favorite moments in the Bible is uh, Elijah. It's probably my favorite prophet, and I hope it's I get this right. But Elijah is frustrated with uh, with Israel. And he just wants God. Was it Elijah? He wants God to just destroy Israel. Was that right? Oh yeah. And he just says, "Just they're all bad. They're all corrupt. They all want to kill me. I think you should just destroy Israel and start again." And God says, "No. There are seven thousand. I know that you don't see any of the good, but there are seven thousand people who who will not bow down to other gods." That who still holds hold fast to me, and that's you know it, it's a reminder to me because I've been frustrated with my church, you know, with many Christians today, and as I'm sure many Christians are, and just say, and a lot of people have lost faith in in Christianity and in the church, and have left. They they still believe in God, but they just don't aren't uh, you know. They, they no longer follow the Christian tradition because of how many Christians have, uh, have behaved, at least in their point of view. And God mm-hmm. said, you know, I feel like Elijah did. Like, you know, I'm told, no, there's a lot of really good people out there still. And nobody's perfect, you know, <laughs> even you. Yeah. Are, you know, if I'm going to destroy all the evil people, that includes you unfortunately, and I love you too much to just, you know, destroy you. So why don't you just relax, settle down, you know, take a seat, have a cup of coffee and calm down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's just very, so driven, isn't it? And it really, it, you know, it, it's the story of, of, of him coming to terms with, with that aspect of his life and the lesson he's got to learn that sort of carries through to the end of the film. Mm-hmm. I, I really, uh, I was just going to say before the, uh, watching the, um, the water burst through from the ground there and, uh, spread out and start watering all these trees. Well, apart from 
making a, uh, a convenient plot device, you know, because no one's got to build an arc and there's no timber. Right. Um, <laughs> so that's that's very convenient. Um, it's also an interesting take on the idea of the uh, the fountains of the great deep uh, breaking open, you know, which is sort of the, the precursor to the flood itself yeah. beginning. It's not just a rain. It actually bursts out of the ground also. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's been the traditional understanding of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, myself, I got a, a slightly different view on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, uh, when, I, when I see that language of uh, the windows of heaven and the fountains of the great deep, um, that speaks to me of openings in the spiritual realm. So, again, with this uh, idea of human inaccessibility and these yeah. these realms that are for the divine rather than for the the uh the human you know mm-hmm. um and going back to the uh the sin of the watchers and uh and the nephilim we don't actually see any nephilim in this film at all which is interesting because they just call the the, the watchers the giants yeah uh, so they sort of sidestep this whole issue of of them having uh offspring with uh, with humans but um yeah the idea of the uh fountains of the great deep and the windows of heaven uh, to me speaks of how God deals with them during the flood. So we still have a real flood, real rainfall and everything. And, you know, a genuine need to, to build an ark and, and, and float. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we've also got this spiritual reality going on as well. And that's described in the narrative uh, all like a single event. Mm-hmm. So we've got, the, the judgment of God uh, occurring uh, in the spiritual as well as the physical. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we have uh, now Emma Watson. She's, uh, what's her name? I don't remember her name, but... Ela. Uh, uh, Ela. Uh, earlier in the yeah. story, they came upon a camp that was completely destroyed and, you know, mur- like raised to the ground by, uh, by Cain's tribe. And Emma Stone, when she was a little girl, was the, one of the only survivors, a little girl. And Noah took her in. And now she's with uh, one of Noah's children. They are kind of developed a relationship together. Yeah, it's interesting that they show uh, Ham there as the, the the kid, you know, watching on from a distance. Right. Uh, and you sort of you get this idea that Ham uh, is kind of fascinated by uh, other people's sexuality because uh, biblically speaking we do have that incident with uh, with Noah later on in, in uh, Genesis 9 mm-hmm. um, and and in the film it's portrayed differently to how it plays out in the scripture but uh, yeah it's interesting that they've uh, put in that characterization of ham <laughs> yeah. at, at, at this stage uh, yeah a lot of shenanigans going on <laughs> later uh, on. yeah <laughs> yeah so, yeah, I mean, and what I do find fascinating, and, uh, you know, we'll get to that as the story goes on, but, uh, again, Ham's fascination with the other tribe, with Cain's tribe, because, I, in my view, the evil world is fascinating. It is attractive. It is cool. You know, it, there's, there's something about, you know, again, it doesn't seem evil, but fun, 
<laughs> you know? And Yeah, yeah, there's there's a, always a certain allure in it, and particularly if you feel like you don't fit in mm, yeah. with uh, with with the good guys. And right. you know, he's he's there without a partner, you know, he's the um in, in this story, it's it's sort of like he's the overlooked middle child. Uh, he's he's supposed to be the youngest, but uh, they kind of forget all those details in this film. I noticed, but <laughs> sure, sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's he's definitely the odd one out, mm-hmm. and uh, so you can see him just sort of you know checking out. Uh, you know, maybe maybe the reality that my dad tells me about is not the only way to view the world. You know, right. Here we have this uh, Sohar again. The, yeah. uh, the 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 magic stones come in. They're, apart from being a convenient plot device, <laughs> uh, you know, because they, they use it for cooking, they use it for lighting. You know, it's it's worth money. It's you know, it's it's this valuable thing, and now they're uh, now they're putting birds to sleep. Yeah. Again, uh, <laughs> one of the questions is: since animals eat other animals. How could they all hang out in the ark? And of course, yeah. they, their answer is, uh, you know, Noah's wife creates a a sleeping agent, a kind of a, a you know, a smoke that uh, puts the animals to sleep, so they can just sleep through the flood and not harm one yeah. another. <laughs> Which is, you know, See, I mean, it's an it's, answer. It's <laughs> well, I was going to say, it's lucky that uh, Noah's family don't all pass out down there. Yeah, I know. It doesn't affect um, humans. <laughs> <laughs> Very convenient. Yeah. But yeah, that uh that uh Soha is is an interesting thing because it comes from this uh rabbinic tradition. They uh suppose that uh the ark was sort of built without openings, right? You know, because it didn't have uh, a window or a, a skylight or anything. I mean, you know, how could you do that if you're gonna have all this rain, right? Sure, sure. Um and so they needed something to provide light and, and these stones were supposed to uh, glow in the dark and provide this light that they needed hmm. uh, in there. And uh, the tradition's quite involved. They, they, they reckon Abraham had one as well, and and all the, the leaders of Israel at some stage had access to this stone and used it for whatever noble purposes. And yeah, it's all uh, very interesting stuff. Yeah. And here we have Ham talking about how, well, everyone has a pair. Like, the, he just showed them. Uh, Noah's explaining that all the animals are in pairs. There's a male and a female so that they can reproduce and repopulate the earth. And Ham's like, well, that's nice. All the birds have a partner. And Shem, he has Ela. I'm alone. So what, you know, what, what am I supposed to do? And which again, it's it's fair question for a young, you know, developing boy who's, you know, starting to get that to that age. Again, oh yeah, absolutely. You know, again, not and, maybe not biblical because again, like you mentioned, that that comes up later on in the Bible, but uh, in this story, it's a fair question. I mean, what's he supposed to do? How is he not going to feel a sense of loneliness, of jealousy, of you know. Yeah, that's that's right. And there's a sense of, uh, you know, uh, fairness and equality and, and that sort of thing. I mean, 
I got three kids myself, and mm-hmm. you know, there's all there's always one who's like, well, it's not fair, you know, because <laughs> what about me? Yeah, and you know, that's that's just human experience right through, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so yeah, perfectly natural, I think, to uh, to have at at least one of the brothers uh, really sort of exemplifying that, and you know, we we see later in the film as he sort of decides he's going to take matters into his own hands and yeah again that's that's a perfectly natural response i think yeah and again and you know one of the conflicts that the movie creates is that uh as a child uh Ela was uh she was stabbed that's why she was hurt she was she survived the uh, the attack from the other tribe but she was stabbed and now she can't have children and so yeah, how so- are they supposed to repopulate the earth and then here we have uh, the children are in the forest. They're gathering food and stuff. And then Cain's tribe shows up. And yeah, I see Tubal Cain is still wearing the snake skin yeah. that he took off Noah's father around his neck there. Yeah. He's, uh, he's an interesting character. Yeah. He's very charismatic. Oh yeah, I'll say that because he's, and again, and you you can totally understand how he feels the way he feels. Yeah, he's uh, he's a very uh, bitter character in a sense, mm-hmm. and uh, he you know he sort of claims to be very uh, wise in the ways of the world, and uh, he believes that the world belongs to him. Yeah. And, because he you know, here it. comes the yeah. yeah, yeah, and here comes the the temptation to to ham. Well, here you can take it. Yeah, mm-hmm. he, he has a weapon, and he hands it to Ham. And Ham, I'm sure, has never seen anything like this. This hammer, you know, this iron hammer that uh, that he's handed, and he's now he's bringing the tribe to Noah as kind of an introduction. Like, hey, Dad, look what I found. You know, I made yeah. new friends. <laughs> And again, I love this line because it's so cool. It says, do not take my best soldier. He, you yeah. know, a Tybalt, you know, I'm sorry. Noah brings, uh, calls Ham over and Tybalt uh, stops him. And he says, no, no, don't take my best soldier. Kind of pumping up Ham, who is, again, feels alone, feels like he's not one of his own family, you know, feels. And now he found a tribe somebody who accepts him and he's being, you know, being complimented. He's being told that he's a good, you know, he's a good soldier, even though he didn't do anything, but it's, it's a tempting kind of uh, moment for ham. Yeah. Yeah. That, that little affirmation and that little temptation, you know, just enough to draw him in. Yeah. And I will, again, Tybalt's, Tybalt, I keep uh, adding a T to the end. You know, when he talks about the creator, you know, Tybalt believes in the creator. And he believes he abandoned us. We were left alone, so we had to survive. In spite of him, we survived. 
And now we, this all belongs to us because we survived. We, you know, we took what we needed and we, in spite of God's attempt to abandon us, we created, we rebuilt society. Yeah. I love this moment where Jubal Cain suddenly recognizes that he's talking to a, a son of Seth here. Yeah. And, you know, the blood runs cold immediately. Mm-hmm. And I love this. I have men at my back and you're alone. And Noah says, I'm not alone. And, you know, of course, he's talking about the, uh, the watchers. But uh, he, Noah's not alone because he has God. That's right. Yeah, and uh, you can see the conflict in in uh, young Ham there. He's he's really not sure if he wants the the strength of men or, right, or uh, you know, for, for, to for, to trust in God. Well, and and that's isn't that like very human? I mean, how many times does David in in Psalms say, "I'm all alone. I'm by myself because you abandoned me, God. Thanks a lot." I'm, I have nobody behind me because even my God has abandoned me. And then the next chapter, thank you, God, for you never abandoned me. You never turned your back on me. It's, uh, it's, it's a very human feeling. Yeah. Noah's just so resolute here, isn't he? Just, yeah. just cut, cuts Jubal Cain right down. Yeah. You're not getting on my boat. <laughs> like if there will be a flood, then I will be. Then I will take your ark from you. Yeah. He delivers the best lines. Mm-hmm. This is my favorite. If you refuse my dozens now, I shall return with legions. And and that line. Just as soon as you hear Legion, I'm thinking, you know, yeah. Mark chapter five, you know, and there's yeah. there's Jesus on the on the shore at the yeah uh, <laughs> in the the land of the Gerasenes, you know, and here comes this demon possessed man, mm-hmm. uh, and and there's an interesting connection there because of course it's uh, in in First Enoch, we uh, read that the destruction of the Nephilim is what resulted in the origin of demons, so. Uh, that statement there, if if we put uh, Tubal Cain and his followers in the position of the Nephilim, who admittedly are absent from this uh, retelling, mm-hmm. then uh, then they certainly do return uh, as as a, a legion of of demons after the flood, according to uh, First Enoch. So that's interesting. I thought, yeah. But uh, yeah, it is. It is a completely different retelling, so it doesn't quite make those connections. Sure. But yeah, just as soon as the word legions come up, that's you know, my well, mind went straight there. Yeah, I mean, who can stand against a legion? And Jesus, yeah. Jesus can. I mean, that's right. You know, Noah is by himself. He only has he and his family against a legion of people, and God is behind Noah, and they cannot stand against him. And again, a legion of demons, even in the face of Jesus, is weak. I mean, that's the thing. A legion is huge, but they are cowering, you know, in front of Jesus. Yeah. 
that's yeah that's really powerful we're starting to see uh the the scale of this thing now this enormous arc and all these animals yeah and uh once again we're getting treated to the uh the uh, coloring book uh, image of, you know, <laughs> here comes the two elephants. And, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I always, yeah, uh, when, when you find out what the, the arc actually looked like, you're kind of disappointed that it's not a little boat with the giraffe's head sticking out of one end and the elephant head yeah. sticking out of the other. <laughs> like this very adorable, <laughs> like kids coloring book version of Noah's Ark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're like, happily, uh, well, I thought it was <laughs> happily floating on the I, water. I, yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought it was interesting that it um, it was constructed from this kind of heavy timber, um, whereas in the in the scripture you've got this term uh, gopher wood, and that that's not a translation. That they transliterated because they weren't sure how to how to render it best. Um, but the the word used is actually the term that would be used for uh, the construction of a bird nest. Hmm. So wow. it, the idea was to uh, to make the ark, uh, it, what it says, kind of to make it out of nests. And I think we're supposed to understand that uh, people, I mean, and this is an ancient Mesopotamian story, as I say, uh, people lived in huts made of reeds, mm -hmm. right? So they're, you know, the, the birds make their nests the same way. They, they, they make these little nests out of reeds. The idea being that if, if you're going to build an ark, don't start from scratch. Knock some houses down, get some walls, mm -hmm. and and stitch them all together. And so you're making your ark from the walls of your home. You're making it from the reeds that are used to line your dwelling. It's just like a bird's nest. Hmm. So it's actually interesting that in some uh, other cultures, they depict the ark as actually being uh, a big round basket like a bird nest. Wow. So, you know, that was a direction they could have gone with this. Um, I think most people are probably more comfortable with a big wooden box anyway. Sure. But, um, yeah, I, I would have liked to have seen the, <laughs> uh, you know, the ark made of reeds. And, and, again, that sort of gives you the connection with Moses, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that that's, that's an intentional connection that the authors of Scripture make as well. Well, and it, and it makes sense in that the ancient world were really brilliant in how they created their, you know, their tools. They, they sewed those reeds together so, so strongly that it could actually hold water. You know, you figure yeah. it's very porous, you know, they, they can't, you know, there's, there's got to be a bunch of holes. But they really tied them tight, so tightly that it could actually hold so much, and still be very light. Yeah, that's right. And then, of course, they they waterproof it too with the uh, the use of uh, tar. So, mm -hmm. yeah, pretty ingenious uh, construction method. Yeah. And uh, that kind of thing ends up being stronger than steel by the time it's actually set. Right. And here we have uh, Ela. Very sad that, uh, well, how are we supposed to repopulate the earth? How are we supposed to restart humanity if I can't have children? Because of her injury, she uh, she can't have children. You know, yeah, Noah's just so conflicted here because he feels for her, he loves her so much. Mm -hmm. But he's, 
I think in the back of his mind, he's also thinking, well, it, who said anything about repopulating the earth? Right. And and true to form, you actually don't find that in the biblical story until after the event. It, it it's not until you know the flood's over, mm-hmm. and then God says, "Yeah, you know, go forth and multiply and all that." You, you don't have that beforehand. So uh, so so it is an act of faith. God is going to destroy oh, the yeah. earth, and maybe we are the last living remnants of it, and we will die, and then that's it. He yep, doesn't, yeah, he's, he's, he has to be fine with that. That's right. He's taken it as well. It's our job to preserve the animal through this, mm-hmm. not preserve ourselves. Mm. So, and the, yeah, that's how deep that environmentalist narrative goes through there as well, you know, if you right. want to take it that way. But, right. um, you know, I don't, I don't think you necessarily have to uh, look at it down those lines. But I, th- I think that that was a reality for Noah. Yeah. And then here in the story, Noah actually visits Cain's uh, village, and it is brutal. It is an evil, horrible place. This is what humanity has devolved into, where he is literally starving people. He's trading human beings for food. Uh, you know, it is an, a horrible place to be. And this is actually what leads this Noah to realize, oh, yeah, humans are not good. We all have the capacity for evil, and that's not what God intended for this world. We have all devolved into truly evil beings, and therefore none of us deserve to, to live. Yeah. Which, yes, we, that is a way of interpreting this. I mean, human beings throughout, like, I mean, even now, looking at the world we live in, there we have done some evil, evil things, and why would God, why would a God of love have any patience for us at all? It's that moment right there where he sees his own face looking back at him. Yeah. That, that he realizes he's corrupt too. Yeah, he sees in his vision, he, he actually sees these human, these evil men hurting people. And one of them looks back at him and he sees himself in them. And yeah, which again, maybe God is trying to tell him that, yeah, you're evil also. Don't think that you're better. Because, again, isn't that what Jesus is telling us? I died for you, and you're no good. So you cannot, you cannot think that you're better than anyone else. Yeah, well, you know, the scripture says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not that he was perfect, uh, although we like to... Uh, pointed some of the earlier scriptures that say, you know, that that he was sort of uh, uh, blameless in his generation. Mm-hmm. But uh, it certainly doesn't make him sinless. Mm-hmm. And I think we we all got to appreciate that, uh, you know, we're in the same position. Right. And again, when we see the line of Jesus, there are there are prostitutes, <laughs> there are evil men. There are, uh, you know, weak men, there are strong men, there are good men. There's all kinds of people that Jesus descended from, you know, men and women. So it's, it's not, even, and again, not even just men in, in the line of Jesus that are mentioned. They're good and they're evil. And the idea is to keep us humble to the idea that none of us are good. So don't think that you're better than anyone else. But at the same time, even though you're evil, doesn't mean you're beyond God's reach. 
Yeah. Well, this bit I found fascinating, you know, Noah's idea of um, being a man is, you know, doing what's required. Mm -hmm. Ham's idea of being a man is, you know, having that family life and, you know, there's there's things that he, he wants to achieve for himself. Yeah. And there's, uh, yeah, just this coming-of-age sort of uh, conflict there. Now we get that that awkward family discussion. <laughs> yeah, this is this is Noah telling his wife, "We're we we are not supposed to survive this either, because we are just as evil as those men." And you know, he says that, and she says, "No, we're not. You're a good father. I'm a good wife. Uh, you know, our children are good and decent people." And he, all he sees is their weaknesses. Hmm. You know, and and he says to his wife, he's like, you're willing to kill for your children, aren't you? So how can you say that you're any better? And again, that that's that's an and that's endlessly fascinating to me. That's one of the things that keeps me going, because, again, I, you know, I don't know how much you know about me, but I, I was I came to the church much later. I came to Christ much later in my life after a life of drugs and alcohol and sinful behavior <laughs> And uh, my first year of Christianity was very much, I'm not going to last. I'm, it's not that I'm not good enough, because I know that everyone, that nobody's good enough. But of course, when you, when you hate yourself, when you're down on yourself, there's always an excuse. You, know, you can always find something. And I say that yeah. I'm not strong enough to remain good. And it took a while for me to realize, oh yeah, I'm not supposed to be perfect. I'm just supposed to try. You know, try to be better. And that's what yeah. God, as long as we're trying, that's what, that's what God is expecting of us. Yeah. But again, that, that humility, that's the thing that keeps me, that, that's the thing that I learned, is that if I'm not good enough, yet God has faith in me, then... May you know? Then I have to have that 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 kind of grace for other people as well. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, now this is this is interesting. Mm -hmm. This is this is that that Jewish character I was talking about. Someone has got to stand up and and plead, right, for for something some some mercy and and it's Noah's wife approaching Methuselah mm -hmm. to uh, to ask for some sort of hope and all he's interested in is berries <laughs> <laughs> right and again I know that we say that uh, you know we're not supposed if you're not watching this that's okay you don't have to watch this but uh, I, I do recommend people watch this film there's so much that you can gain from this. You know, it, it is a fascinating movie. Uh, Darren Aronofsky is a fascinating filmmaker. Yeah, that's right. And uh, when people talk to me about this movie, a lot, a lot of them have said they didn't like it. And I said, well, you know, did you expect a retelling of 
you know, those few chapters in the Bible. I said, well, yeah. I said, well, that's that's not what it is. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, you're judging a fish for its ability to climb a tree. It's it's <laughs> it's not going to pass that test. Yeah. Um, you know, this is uh, heavily steeped in a lot of Jewish tradition. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they try to do justice to biblical text as well, but admittedly there's no dialogue you know there's no character development in the in the biblical uh portrayal of the story yeah so you got to do something with it right and and again sometimes in a christian telling a christian story is very one-sided sometimes you need somebody who from the outside telling your story to let you see other perspectives other points of view taking a step back oh, yeah. and looking at a more objective view of these stories and yeah, to, to actually look at things that you're not going to see yourself. Yeah. Uh, I thought uh, Naomi's line there was very interesting when she says to uh, Methuselah, you know, um, the, the boys desire love, you know, isn't that all that is needed to be good? Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, yeah, that's, I suppose a lot of people probably have that view. I'm not sure that it's quite enough. Right. Um, and certainly Noah, uh, in this case, would have argued that it's not enough. Mm-hmm. But um, in the end, I suppose it's the it's the pursuit of love that leads to the circumstances that uh, we have at the end. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, sort of conflict that this film sort of builds and eventually resolves. Mm -hmm. This is an interesting scene here, isn't it? Yeah, Ham goes to the village to try to find a a woman for himself to bring with him on the ark because he's alone. And... And this girl seems to be trapped in a burial pit alive with all the corpses and uh, him kind of uh, tries to break the ice with her. She's very afraid. Right. She's only, and, she's uh, only known people to hurt her. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he's, he's seen his uh, ticket out of loneliness and, uh, you know, he's he's going to offer her a, a a leg up out of her uh, miserable existence as well. Yeah. It, uh, it takes a while for her to come around to that idea. There's uh, a lot of biblical imagery that comes to mind when you see all these uh, bodies in a pit. You know, it's quite a common... Uh, uh, expression or you know uh, a, a common image in scripture mm-hmm. interesting that she has like a theophoric name you know you've got the uh, nael that that l there yeah. sort of uh, representing deity like you know she's got a name that honors a god hmm. but she's completely without any honor herself right And again, we have we, we here we have Ham ran away to the village, 
and Noah doesn't care. Yeah. Noah is not interested in his children anymore because he yeah, he's very re- resolute in, you know, the end of all mankind. And if that that means my children too, then yes, my children as well. Yep, yep, very much sort of let the dead bury their own dead. I got an ark to build. Yeah. Which again, not 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 the god that we know. But sometimes we lose sight of that. Yeah, well, it's the great thing about this film is it doesn't attempt to portray God. Uh, instead, we get portrayals of how people understand God. Yeah, that's a really good point. God, we see visions that Noah sees, but we don't see God. God doesn't speak, you know, very much other than through visions. That's right. So you have what Noah says about God. You have what Tubal Cain says about God. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, what uh, Noah's wife says. But uh, you, you don't have the person of God represented. And I think that that's fantastic. I think that's, that's uh, honouring and, uh, you know, faithful to the, the spirit of, of Scripture. We don't try to represent God as something external, you know? Yeah. Now, this scene is very interesting with uh, Methuselah uh, blessing Elah. He, he says he's giving her a blessing and he, he heals her. We get this uh, sound of the wind uh, rushing through the leaves. That's a, a theme that you pick up through the film. Uh, the sound of wind being the movement of a spirit, you know, that uh, is some act of God. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think uh, in past episodes we've talked about that, how sometimes God is represented in the Bible as a gust of wind or the, at least spirit. Spirit yeah. is another word for breath or wind. Or gust, you know, that's there's there's a connection there. And here, when Eli is healed, there's a gust of wind, like you mentioned, and there's uh, you know, and here, now that she's healed, she has a, the urge to uh, you know, <laughs> to uh, you know, have a uh, a relationship with Shem. I don't, you know, they're they're going oh, to have, they're going to have sex, and now she's going to uh, bear children. Yeah, well, uh, let's not put the blessing to waste, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I find it interesting that they've got the watchers building the ark. Mm-hmm. That that uh, is something you don't find uh, in in any traditions I'm aware of. Right. Um, although in in some you do have uh, the the watchers or some of the nephilim trying to hit your right on the uh, the finished product. Oh, really? But uh, yeah. You, you don't get them uh, building it, so that's interesting. Yeah, but again, that, that and that's part of like the director trying to uh, give some explanation to why the, the, these this happens. Why don't the animals eat each other or fight each other? Because they put you know <laughs> Noah's you know wife puts them to sleep with this little concoction that she makes. How are yeah. how is Noah uh, able to build an entire ark himself? Well, how about if the Nephilim help him? Because one yeah, man yeah, can't yeah. do it all, so it's it's kind of trying to give an explanation for for certain things. Yeah, there's there's a lot of convenient plot devices <laughs> um, that sort of move the story along, and you know this is this is fascinating. Uh, Tubal Cain uh, saying a prayer, 
mm-hmm. and he he speaks of being made in God's image, but uh, in his actions he doesn't represent God, so it's kind of hypocritical, you know, because right. he's he's made to be a representation of God, and he does not represent Him, mm. and uh, he's he's plotting now uh, with this. Uh, makeshift uh gun that that is made right. uh, i find it interesting that uh the 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 soha comes out again that uh, magical stone and now it's a projectile uh or a you know a source of uh making explosions for projectiles and uh you know right at the pinnacle of the film where we've got this the rain starts to come down and it's all happening now we've got weapons and we can shoot and it's like the pinnacle of evil that we've now got these these uh, projectile weapons. Now, um, you know, I'm I'm not uh, trying to make a an anti-gun statement or anything here, but certainly that's the vibe I picked up from the film. Right. It's probably uh, something the director's trying to uh, to inject mm. his opinion into this, maybe. Yeah. Well, I think it's consistent with the other themes we're seeing in the film. Right. Uh, yeah, he gives this uh, rallying speech here, and he's ready to uh, send his army to uh, to try and kill the the giants now. Right. And, uh, mustering a force for a last ditch attempt because they've realised well the rain is coming, mm-hmm. and there, there will be a flood, and they need to get on that ark. Yeah. Again, and again, this is a very people who are angry with with God. They say he is one of those people where he says they, God tried to kill us, try, God abandoned us, and now his this is his last attempt to destroy us. He's not going to. We are going to survive in spite of him. Yeah. And now their last attempt to survive is to take the ark again. Not not to not to turn to God as an attempt to survive, you know, not to turn to God and ask for forgiveness, but to survive in spite of him. Yeah. And just when the enemy hordes are closing in, Ham's about to uh, lose his girlfriend in an animal trap. Right. And along comes Noah and we think, oh, great, Noah's going to save the day. And, uh, he pulls hand back and is like, well, that's it. We've got to go. Yeah. And abandons the girl. And, uh, and the poor girl just gets trampled underfoot. Mm-hmm. Like, Noah didn't even look like making an effort there. Yeah. And, he, yeah, I mean, I mean, how are we, you know... <laughs> The Bible is constantly telling us that humankind is not good. We've chosen mm. evil. Here are the watchers in chains. I thought that was interesting uh, because there's a lot of biblical allusions to this. Um, the idea that the, the watchers are restrained and, and held back from the, the full uh, manifestation of their glory and power and you know their status that they were uh, created for. Right. And uh, here we've got them all chained together, but they've they've turned these chains into a uh, a defense against this uh, 
insurgency. Right. So uh, once again, they're sort of being portrayed as the the good guys here, um, defending the Ark and, and, and Noah's family. Yeah, um, so... This notion that uh, that humanity will be destroyed eventually. Well, uh, okay. So, in uh, let me ask this question: In the biblical story, the people do not believe that the rain will come or that God will destroy the earth. Or does it speak to that at all? Um, I think it's alluded to that they didn't see it coming because. Uh, Jesus, when he speaks of the days of Noah, I think it's Matthew 24, uh, sort of talks about people going on about their business like it was everyday, ordinary affairs, you know? Mm-hmm. And and they uh, didn't appear to have any sense of the urgency of the situation until it was upon them. Right. So that does uh, differ quite Um, in that uh, Jubal Cain seemed to have some awareness that it was going to come to this. Sure. And uh, he's in charge of all these guys, so, you know, they, they might have known. But, uh, yeah, this this right here is a very interesting scene when uh, the, the Watchers begin to, uh, to be killed by the, um, the invading armies and they... Are portrayed here as being forgiven by God right. because they've helped Noah. Uh, you certainly have no hint uh, of any kind of forgiveness in the biblical narrative. Sure. Uh, so that's an interesting spin. There's, um, it's something that I brought up before in the movie Dogma, which again, not very biblical at all, even though they, you know, but uh, there's a there's these two angels who have been cast out of heaven by God. And the angel is saying that human God abandoned us, the angels yet humankind. He gives endless chances to, he gave them this earth and they destroyed it. You know, he gave them paradise and they threw it away. You know, he has given them endless. He has endless patience for mankind yet us. He abandoned you know, and some people don't even believe he exists, yet he continues to give them a chance to survive or to, uh, you know, to, to succeed. To, he gives them endless chances of forgiveness, yet angels have no chance of forgiveness. Because, and it's the, I don't know, it, it, I do feel that there's a notion that if you know God exists and you still refuse him, that's different than if you never had a chance, than if you never knew him. Yeah. Christians Christians have a much, well, well, I guess my point is Christians have a much, you know, much higher, you know, uh, standard than people who were never believers. Yeah. The the other thing that I sort of consider as well is the issue of mortality, right? See, we're mortal. So, uh, you know, once, once we die, that's it. Yeah. So there's got to be some grace afforded because angels, on the other hand, I mean, 
we, we're told very little about uh, matters related to, you know, how God deals with them through the course of their lives. I mean, we get an idea of sort of where things finish up in the uh, Revelation. Um, but for all intents and purposes, they appear to be uh, immortal. You know, they, they live forever. They're not going to run out of time mm -hmm. to change their ways, whereas we are. Right. So that's I a, think that's that, a really good point. Yeah. Hmm. Well, and the, so, the, the, that uh, that that metaphor, the, that story, and I forget. You know, again, I, I don't know where all these stories are, but there's the there's the the parable of the farmer who continues to water the tree. You know, there's a tree that will not, you know, grow fruit, and this farmer continually tries to water it, to manure it, to give it a chance to survive, and, you know, but eventually, if it doesn't bear fruit, there comes a time when it just has to be cut down. Yeah, that's right. But the notion isn't that, you know, if you don't bear fruit, then you're screwed. The idea is that God continues to try will That's not right. give up, will always give us a chance. And it's up to us to try, you know. You know we, we, when the time comes, we can't say, well, you know, I wasn't given a chance. No one ever came to me, you know. No, we were always given a chance. And yeah. it's a God of endless patience. Oh, and here's Methuselah's last chance to eat a berry. Yeah, he finally, <laughs> finally, finally gets one. Yeah, he's barely got the thing in his mouth, and here comes the flood. Yeah, and he's gone. Right. This is quite spectacular watching all these fountains bursting up. Right, and again, yeah. children are taught of the rains flooding the earth, but uh, there's uh, there's kind of a suggestion that the water doesn't just come from the heavens; it comes from the ground also. Yeah, that's right. Which makes me laugh at all those people who uh, suggest that there's tunnels under the earth where the giants live, oh, where right. they hid them <laughs> out of the flood. I'm like, ah, oh, the water came from underneath as well. So <laughs> there goes that idea. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I, I liked uh, how Jubal Cain managed to find his way onto the ark. Right. Um, there, there are traditions of people stowing away on the ark, but uh, I haven't seen one with Jubal Cain being the, the person in question, there was one where it was uh, Og of Bashan, who is the, uh, it was called the, the last of the Raphaim uh, in, in Deuteronomy. And, yeah, he was considered to be one of the original Nephilim, uh, one of the giants who, yeah, stowed away um, on, a, on a beam outside of the ark and uh, made a pact with, with Noah that he would change his ways if Noah would keep him alive. And so Noah agrees and, and starts feeding him. This is the <laughs> rabbis doing some crazy things. You know, they, they got to explain how, how we got giants after the flood. Sure. And so that, you know, um, I go through a few theories in my book actually about that. Um, but yeah, this was an interesting theory and they've kind of adapted that here with, uh, with Tubal Cain as the, uh, the, the, the protagonist in that role. Mm -hmm. Yet again, we have this uh, marvelous plot device, the, the Soha, 
I think it's fascinating the um, the, the way it's talked about in the in the uh, Jewish traditions. Like this, this stuff was like a, a stone that glowed so bright it was like the the noonday sun, hmm. and you only had to hang it from a string and it'd light up the whole room. You know, right? And uh, any connection to the stones that uh, that the Hebrew people would wear on their chest to to communicate with God? Oh, or now is that that's something completely tr- different. Uh, I I don't think that the same terminology is used, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if there was some sort of a connection somewhere in the rabbinical traditions. Hmm. Um, yeah, I I'm I'm pretty confident you wouldn't get there scripturally. Sure. But uh, yeah, that's an interesting thought, though. Well, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> <laughs> and again, the, the floods even cover mountains, and here we have kind of a yeah. kind of a notion of that. There are people trying to survive climbing mountains, and nope, here comes a wave to just wash them away. There is no hope. Yeah, and they're all sitting there in the ark, and they can hear the screaming. Oh, God. That, that is, again, you can't imagine what that would be like. No, and that's the thing. I think for a lot of people who watched this film, they would have come away thinking, like, how did Noah end up so crazy toward the end of this? Mm-hmm. And I, I think, well, how could he not? Yeah. This would, this would be the worst experience ever, you know, and, and to think that God calls you to do this mission mm-hmm. and, you know, yeah, the... The unspoken mission is you've got to come to terms with with that and learn how to grow in yourself to understand it correctly. Um, but what it does to you in the meantime uh, can't be easy. And again, we think of God just being cruel, but God has endless patience for us as well. This is, we can get back to that, but I want to talk about this right here. He tells the story of creation. Noah does. Oh, and yeah. you can find this in, in, on YouTube, just this segment, where Noah's telling the story of God creating. He's, he's, this is creation, and it was good. And you see the first day this happens. The second day, there's light. There's the third, you know, a great warming light nurtured its day. And lesser light yeah. of the night. It's... It's a beautiful, you know, little telling of creation. It's fascinating, isn't it? And yeah. uh, it did it did cop a lot of criticism for, um, you know, a, a view that supported evolution. Um, you know, if if you choose to uh, read it that way, I guess. Um, and yeah, it's it's a different difficult one to reconcile with. Uh, you know, your um, literal six-day young earth creationism. Sure. Um, but uh, I think outside of that tradition, uh, and certainly from a Jewish perspective, it's actually quite compatible with Scripture. It's just, uh, for a lot of us, I think the way that we read Genesis 1 is very different to the way that an ancient person would have read it. Mm-hmm. 
Right. And I think uh, Nathan and Emily have brought that up, that these, this idea that Christians see the Genesis much different than the Hebrew people did. In that if we continue, to, if we try to look at uh, the story of creation as a six day creation, a Hebrew person would say, what are you talking like? You're missing the point of the story. Like, you know, mm. and, it, and I would argue both, both sides. If you want to believe in the old earth, in the older world tradition, or if you want to look at the, you know, the young earth tradition, it doesn't matter. You're missing the point. And even yeah. even the story of the flood, if you want to believe in the flood as a literal story, if you want to believe in the story of Eden as a literal story, you're miss like if you're focusing on that too much, you're going to miss the point. Yeah, there's a lot being told in a very short space in all of these stories. Yeah. And to get the entirety of the, the the primeval history, like, you know, everything from the from the the dawn of time to uh, the advent of uh, Abraham, you know, in, in 11 chapters, um, you, you're not going to get uh, <laughs> yeah. neat, you know, perfect little uh, descriptions of everything. You're going to get figures of speech. Mm -hmm. You're going to get cultural references. You're going to get the shortest way possible to convey the greatest amount of information. And you just cannot approach that literally. It doesn't work. That's not how communication works. Yeah. And and I would also mention that uh, the ancient world only had superstition points of view, would have this supernaturalistic way of looking at the world. We have science. We understand the world much more deeply, much more complex, in a much more complex way. Yet God fits into any way we look at it. Hmm. You know, it, it's, it's, it's really... You know, I, did, I would say that uh, a good example is in the Bible, it says that the, the, when Jesus was crucified, the, the sun stopped moving. It's, it stopped in the, in the sky. And because they believe that the, the sun rotated around the earth. We now understand that much differently. But it doesn't change the story. It doesn't change the point of what's happening. Yeah. You know, if we focus too much on one thing, we're going to miss the, <laughs> miss the point. Yeah, that's it. And, yeah. And the, Go ahead. I was going to say this, uh, this point in the story where we've got uh, Noah finally sort of laying it out for the last time that, you know, he's serious about the family all just perishing. Mm -hmm. at this point and there's no future for them and you know ham still uh doesn't accept it and he's off to find his uh his friend in the shadows right and uh we get another uh interesting uh exchange here with uh Jubal kane mm -hmm. i think this really carries uh, a lot of the the story, you know, this this little subplot going on here. Well, he just emerges out of the darkness, you know. Right. It's very creepy. But it, it the, the story brings this idea that uh, we broke the world. God created paradise. He created a perfect world, and we destroyed it. 
and God is constantly trying to renew it. Even in yeah. uh, in the in the story of uh, of Israel, when He gives us uh, you know a way of cleansing ourselves, when He brings the year of jubilee, you know, <laughs> it's almost like there's a constant reset button that He's giving giving us. And That's then, right. And even when Israel falls away from God, He abandons us and then brings us back in. And then we abandon God again, and he brings us back in. He's constantly trying to bring Eden back. He's trying to cleanse it all, and we continue to try to destroy it. That's right. And I think that the flood story sort of functions as a way of telling that on the grandest possible scale. So early in the piece, uh, you know, when we consider the entire biblical narrative as a way of kind of setting the tone that what appeared to be absolutely hopeless uh, can still be redeemed. Yeah. The, we just see that play out over and over again. Yeah, I, I think that the, the early Bible, I think what God is trying to tell us from the beginning, and again, I, this isn't my original thought, but the point is we want to live the way we want to live and God is telling us there's only one way to live. And humanity wants to live their own way. And if they continue to try to do that, we will always fail. So, and that, that's, I think, the conflict that is from the very beginning. It's a story that continues even to today. So... You know, it, it's it's the mess. It's the warning that God is giving us. If we continue to try to live the way we want to live, it's never going to happen. It's never going to succeed. Yeah, I really like the interplay between uh, Noah and his wife at this stage too, as she starts trying to bring Noah around and say, "Look, you know, you've you've done the job now. Mm-hmm. You know, you can." You can put down this burden. You don't have to keep carrying it. You know, God's going to restore the world, and, and you've done your part. You've been faithful. You know, it was hard. Uh, and, you know, it's time for you to to put that down and relax. And uh, Noah's just so driven and so resolute, and he's so hardened. Um, yeah, he's just resigned to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're back with uh, Tubal Cain and Ham again, and Tubal Cain's administering the uh, the wisdom of the world, mm-hmm. uh, very much like the ancient sages that the uh, the Jews uh, blamed the the depravity of the world on, mm-hmm. uh, which in their view necessitated the flood. Yeah, Tybalt represents mankind. How could you? How could God be good if He drowns children? How can God, how can this be a loving God if he destroys everything? Again, yeah. I do evil things, but it's God's fault. I That's choose right. to do evil, but God did this. It's, and we constantly come back to that. It's, you know, it's... Hmm. And it's understandable. Yeah. I, I don't want to... 
a, lo- a lot of Christians kind of have no faith in those who don't believe, but we have to kind of look at things through their perspective as well to have to have the sympathy that God has. Yeah, they've suffered. A lot of people have suffered, and it's easy to blame God. I mean, geez, David David blames God lots of times. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's natural to just express those things, isn't it? I mean, even if it's against your better judgment, you know, and you you know better deep down, still you're going to have those feelings. Uh, you're going to have those those times where uh, really it's it's the only thing you feel, and uh, you know it's it's quite natural I think to to walk through those times and experience them. You can't deny everything. Mm-hmm. And this is here in the movie. We have the moment when Ela uh, is nauseous. She's sick. She doesn't know what's wrong with her, and. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce her name. I, I because not Nema Neela Noah's wife. Yeah, they call it Nema. Nema. Yeah, yeah. She's letting her know. Actually, you're not sick. You're pregnant. That's not possible. And they're coming to Noah now to give him hope. God has. I mean, there we have hope for humanity because now you know she you know now we have somebody who's pregnant yeah it's not possible but here it happens which again abraham as well that's that that that's kind of a reference to abraham i think that it's not possible for abraham to have had children but he did yeah. because through god all things are possible that's right and yeah here we see yeah uh, Noah's starting to lose the plot because he's like so committed to the plan. And now he's like, you're all undermining me. <laughs> How dare you get pregnant? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He sort of, uh, he, he accuses his wife here of uh, making God kill everyone in the world for no reason because there's going to be more people anyway. Right. <laughs> There's the director is is trying to have it both ways, which I don't think he's I don't think he's ignorant in this. But Noah believes that the earth is for the animals, which again yeah. I I've, I want to do this other movie called Mother that Darren Aronofsky also does, where we have um, a husband and a wife who, you know, represent God and Mother Nature. And God God invites humanity into the world and destroys it, and Mother Nature is constantly trying to save the world. Right. And this is another example of this, where the earth is for the animals and humanity destroys it. Mm. I love this scene here with... Noah on the roof of the ark and he's just in despair he's screaming out to God and he hears no response the sky's all grey mm-hmm. I think the grey is very deliberate because it's not black or white 
And that's the trouble with trying to discern God's will sometimes, you know, because God has spoken to Noah. He's communicated his will. Noah's now in the gray area because he did what he was told to do. And he doesn't see that the result is is going to work out, you know, like the the, the family have jeopardized the plan now and, you know, do you want me to kill them? I don't, you know, it's, it's throwing up all these questions for him and just in that relentless gray area that he now inhabits, he's left to his own devices mm-hmm. and he's falling back on habit now. He's going back on that hardened will that made him so successful to this point that made him the, the perfect instrument in God's hand to achieve uh, everything that they've done so far. Yeah. And and now he's he's at risk of taking it too far. Right. But he's, he's just, he's so <laughs> torn. It, the notion, and I think the, this story is, uh, you know, the point this story is trying to make, and I think it's a message that God is constantly trying to give us, just wait. Just wait. You think you know what you're supposed to do, and that's fine. But just, just wait a second. Don't, don't react too quickly. Just let's see yeah. how this plays out first before you do anything rash. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, you know, if, if humanity is supposed to die off with them, the fact that there are two new children coming into the world doesn't stop that god's going to you know do what he's going to do regardless of what happens stop trying to force god's hand yeah you would have thought that um it's it's not going to take another global flood to get rid of a couple of kids (laughs) (laughs) you know if that was the plan it wouldn't be too hard to just sort out that little detail at the end right And here we got the raven coming back empty-handed, nowhere to land. Mm-hmm. So we see they're starting to look for, for signs that this is over and not coming yet. Yeah. The family are getting desperate because Ella's pregnancy is coming on uh, close to full term now. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of tension within the family. I love how they got a chimney on top of the ark and it's just always <laughs> just pumping out smoke. Right. Like, you know, they're in a wooden boat. Well, they it's have light to, a fire. Yeah, they have to cook. That's that's like the most action we've seen from from uh, Japheth there. I think, you know, he's he gets a couple of words in this film and that's it. Right. <laughs> We're focused on, you know, Noah and his wife, Ham and Shem, and there's a third child that doesn't have much to do. Yeah. Yeah, even Shem doesn't really have much of a role in this. Right. He's kind of, uh, he's kind of there to provide the, uh, you know, the role of the good, responsible eldest child. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny because he's not the eldest, but <laughs> again, you know. Uh, they, they get them all out of order. It don't matter. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. 
We can't expect too much from a Hollywood production, but uh, no, that's right. You're missing the point if you're (laughs) if you're trying to look too deep into this. Yeah. Poor Ila there looking at Noah like uh, this is the, you know, the father-in-law I never wanted. Right. Murderer lurking in the background. I don't know how you could live with that. And uh, Noah's got his uh, convenient plot device handy. They'll uh, Soha stones ready to... uh, finish the job on their little raft that they're building. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's he's not planning on letting him leave on it. Right. That's uh yeah, right. That's uh they the children have resolved to leave. So they're building their own little raft. And so <laughs> Which is kind yeah, of it's an interesting funny. Uh, development on the on the biblical story, right? I, I suppose it, it would cross your mind, wouldn't it? Yeah, if you know you have a boat, uh, let's build another boat, <laughs> a little tiny boat to follow behind the ark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wonder where they get the pieces of timber from that you know Noah wouldn't notice. Right, <laughs> <laughs> pull down some internal walls somewhere. Yeah, that's no, an interesting one. Yeah. And um, I, God, we have a lot to talk about. And uh, Noah's not a good man. The Bible lets us know that. And it even brings that up in the end. That, uh, yeah. you know, he's a drunk. He's an alcoholic. Yeah, well, I think that's kind of the coping mechanism, you know, like uh, after all that he's been through and when it comes to the end and he's got no ark to build and he's got no animals to save and his family are all uh, estranged from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But um, I, I found it interesting what Russell Crowe had to say about uh, about the character because um, he, he said that his characterization of Noah was based on Noah's inaction toward man. And uh, and and w- what he said was the, the funny thing with people being they consider Noah to be a benevolent figure, you know, because he looked after the animals. He said, <laughs> are you kidding me? This is a dude who stood by and let the entire population of the planet perish. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we really see that uh, played out well. Um, and, and I thought it was ironic that uh, the... Uh, some of the Islamic nations banned the film because they said, well, you know, it was disrespectful uh, to uh, to have these representations of their, um, you know, sacred characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, Noah's obedience in the film um, actually aligns very well with the definition of Islam. There's no pleading, there's no rebellion or disobedience. You just you just submit, and that's exactly Noah's character here. So I, I thought it was uh, just a little bit ironic there. Yeah. He yeah. Noah's trying to be as obedient as he can to God, and he feels that that you know 
uh, Ela getting pregnant. That's the disobedience. Mm. Which, you know, it's 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 strange how people interpret things. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's it. Like uh, as we were saying before, God doesn't get represented in the film. Instead, you have the representation of how the characters understand him. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to, uh, to Noah and his understanding of God's will, he, he clearly doesn't perfectly understand that either. He's got a, a partial understanding. He's, he's got a, um, a, a very purpose-oriented sort of resolute kind of uh, ironclad will to see this thing finished but he doesn't uh, he doesn't ever sort of get to a point where he just voluntarily goes okay I think we've done the job now right and uh, you know and and just relax Uh, we we only we only see him sort of reach that point when he's utterly incapable of finishing the job and he considers himself a failure. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because he, he goes out and he sees mankind murder and he's angry at his wife because she's willing to kill to protect her children. And now Noah has taken it upon himself to kill <laughs> in order to finish God's plan. That's right. And he starts with the sabotage of the life raft. Right. And uh, setting that on fire and cutting it adrift. Make sure they can't get away. Right. Now that they can't get away, he's got access to the newborn. And... Uh, he considers that to be a a bit of a, a success, you know, in, in his plan. Right. Now they can't get away, so he can't fail. But again, just wait. <laughs> you know, if yeah. if Ela's pregnant, well, either you know, God has another plan or you failed. Let's just see what happens. Don't don't <laughs> Don't force anybody's hand. Just, just wait. It's uh, such an emotional part of the film. This, you know, all the the trauma going on. She's so Ela's so terrified of what will happen to the babies when they're born. Right. She's she's pleading with Naima, uh, who's acting as midwife there. To, keep the, the child in the womb so that uh, it doesn't have to die. Right. And down comes Noah and he's looking very cold and resolute. Mm-hmm. And uh, Shem's prepared to fight him. Right. To preserve the baby. And they, they don't know that there's more than one baby yet. <laughs> yeah. Spoiler alert. Right. But again, we have uh, Ham uh, hanging out with uh, Tibble. Uh, 
And Tibble is saying, ah, Noah's a terrible person. He's willing to kill children. You know, what kind of a man is that? <laughs> and, you know, yeah. I don't know if Ham saw what Tibble was doing <laughs> the entire time. Yeah. And, and, and now the uh, plot to enact Noah's murder right. is uh, coming about. Oh, I, I didn't notice that the first time, the last time I saw the movie, that uh, that animal, you know, because, yeah. uh, you know, Tibble is surviving by eating the animals on the boat. Uh, every animal he kills is a different kind of animal that doesn't exist today. <laughs> you think, I, yeah. think, I think it's suggesting that the reason why some animals don't exist is because Tibble killed them all. <laughs> <laughs> the ones that exist are the ones he didn't get to for, you know. Yeah, he must have quite an appetite, you know, eating all those dinosaurs. I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So there actually were ter- there actually were Tyrannosaurus Rex on the boat, but uh, Tibble just ate them. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a funny yeah. meme, of course. Yeah. There's a meme yeah. going around the internet where, uh, you know, we see. The arc in the distance, and Tyrannosaurus Rex is standing there. He's like, "Oh no, was that today?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. oh, I love the conflict that we see in uh, in Ham uh, at this point, watching uh, Jubal Kane wrestle with Noah, and he's got the knife in his hand. Right. And he, he's sort of looking either way, like, you know, what do I do here? Because I've got an interest in either side. Is mm-hmm. uh. Chibble Kane's been talking to him about, uh, you know, being the king of the new world. Yeah. See, Chibble Kane realizes, of course, he's he's mortal. You know, he's not going to be uh, self-proclaimed king of the world forever. Mm-hmm. And he's got Ham lined up to be his successor. Ham's wondering whether he's got it in him to uh, to do the job. Right. It's quite violent here, and it's very, it's very climactic. You know, these movies they they love to do this. Don't they? You you got to have a birth in one scene and a fight in the other at the same time. It's right. all very tense. <laughs> and uh, it's uh, yeah, it's hard to uh, watch a, a scene of uh, someone giving birth and saying that they're sorry. When the the children are born healthy and alive, and and there are twins, and it should be the best news ever. Yeah. And they're all they're all traumatized. They're all screaming. Mm-hmm. Then we're back to the fight scene. Jubal Kane's getting ready to uh, make an end of Noah. Sure. Um. And. Mm-hmm. Bang! Plot device. <laughs> I know, another, <laughs> a big wave hits the boat, preventing uh, Tibble from killing Noah. Let me. Oh no! Oh, no the the boat crashes on run aground. Yeah. Yeah. Um, was Noah at all a fighter? They they portray him as a good fighter. He 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 battles the the hunter at the beginning. He fights a lot of the men trying to get on the ark, and here we see him fighting. Does uh, Noah have any fight in him, in the biblically speaking? 
I know that there's a lot well, of all of God's men are warriors uh, to some extent. Yeah, yeah. Well, we we don't have any mention made of any uh, any any explicit conflict, but I would imagine that in a world characterized by violence at the time, as as Genesis six makes it clear. Mm-hmm. Um, to do any kind of endeavor like this, you know, to have built an ark to basically turn you back on the rest of the world and the way that they do things, I, I think you're going to see a fair share of conflict. And I would expect that Noah would be up to the task. Mm-hmm. So I think it's reasonable that uh, that that he'd have a, a bit of fight in him. Sure. Um, by the same token, I also would have expected him to be a bit more uh, pacifist as well, but I guess you can't have it both ways in a violent world. Right. Now, this is interesting. When Chibble Cain realizes he's dying and he hands the snakeskin to Ham, and the snakeskin is such a fascinating motif in this movie. Right. Um, the way that Chibble Cain sees it. He, he called it a relic the first time that he saw it when he took it from Noah's father. Mm-hmm. And um, he sees it as uh, the, the right to dominion over the world because in his mind he wasn't really king until he had that. He had taken it mm-hmm. uh, from the line of Seth. And he held on to it as a, a sign of dominion. You know, he had it, he wore it around his neck, he showed it off, it was like his authority, you know? Right. And he talks about dominion throughout the film. He talks about uh, subduing the world and, and, you know, being in charge and, you know, taking whatever you want because you can sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And and he seems to hold that snakeskin as uh, some kind of a, a sign of a divine right to do uh, whatever. Right. And uh, when we see how the snakeskin is used um, by the, the, the Sethites, we see it in uh, Noah's father, and, uh, and later in the film we'll see it again. We'll see it as a different uh, use. And um, I'll, I'll come back to that when we see it again. Mm-hmm. Because uh, now we're now we're getting to the part where the children have been born, and here comes Noah, determined to uh, finish them off and uh, finish the job that he believes God gave him. Mm-hmm. Poor Ella, she just right. She's asking for one last little bit of mercy. Just don't kill them when they're crying. Yeah. And uh, what a horrible position to be in as a mother. Right. Yeah. And now she starts to sing the song that Noah taught her. Maybe she's clever in this. I don't know <laughs> if she's doing this, you know, to, to sway Noah. Yeah. Or if she just doesn't know anything else. Because, I mean, she came from a, a traumatic background. So... I don't know if she she knows nothing else and she's just trying to suit the, the children or if she's really working on Noah with this song. Mm-hmm. But it seems to be working. Yeah. 
you slowly see Noah's resolve starting to crack and he's still trying to finish the job. Right. Because on some level, we, ha we have to wonder what God's plan is. Well, that's right. At this point, we still haven't got to the part in the story where God says, you know, go forth and multiply and replenish the earth. Right. So without that command explicitly given, Noah's still acting under the old, well, you know, mm -hmm. the end of all flesh has come before me. And so now the only thing preventing him is himself. Right. And so, that, but I mean, God destroyed the world, destroyed humankind. And we see God as a cruel and horrible God because he killed a lot of people. And the only solution, and this is everybody's solution, it seems, Tibble thinks that God is cruel because he killed mankind. So the only thing to do is to kill himself. Like, you know, it's I'm better than God because God killed everyone. And so I to prove that I'm better, I'm going to kill. You know, it, it, to, you know, the the the, uh, the tribe of Cain, the descendants of Cain are evil because they murder and kill. So the only thing I can do is kill. It's it's a strange little back and forth that people have. I don't. I don't I'm trying to work this out in my head. Like, well, to, the to me, he there. sort of sees he sees that. I think is like, well, if 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 that's God's prerogative, then you know I can be God too. Yeah. And we finally get to this scene where. The children have been spared and Noah's collapsed in tears and along comes the dove with the olive uh, sprig in its mouth, mm -hmm. which is just so symbolic and beautiful. Yeah. But I think everyone's far too traumatized at this point to appreciate any of it. <laughs> and uh, here they are on an island now and Noah's discovered grapes. If you've been through a lot and you haven't had a drink in ages, yeah, <laughs> have a glass of what wine. What are you gonna do? <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he feels like he failed. Yeah, absolutely. So he he's becomes a that. drunk here. He drinks all the time he because he couldn't come. He couldn't bring himself to kill children. Well, he's got survivor's guilt and too, survival's you know. guilt also. Yeah, yeah. I'm supposed to be dead. Why did I live? Mm -hmm. I shouldn't be here. Yeah, I can't imagine what it'd be like to live with that. A lot of people experience that. Survivors of the Holocaust experience that. You know, those who survive traumatic experiences feel so much guilt for having survived when others died. Hmm. And I can't, I mean, that, that's a constant thing in the Bible that we don't see. But there's, there has to be so much survivor's guilt in the people of the Bible. Yeah. 
see this here makes sense you, you see them getting on with their lives and they've stripped timber off the ark so that they can make stuff yeah now why on earth are people still looking for noah's ark like they think they're going to find it intact <laughs> that's right isn't this just the sensible thing you would do yeah i mean that's literally something that's happening today there's there's archaeologists yeah. there's christians there's muslims there's all kinds of people trying to find noah's ark when, you know, any archaeologist would tell you, any, you know, anybody would tell you that anyone who builds something that big would obviously strip it to create other things. Yeah. You've got nothing else. Like, you know, everything was washed away, literally. Right. <laughs> I mean, pirates would do that. Pirates would mm -hmm. strip down their own boats to, to build shelters. Here we have the... The scene of uh, Noah's shame, uh, where he's found uh, uncovered by Ham, mm -hmm. and uh, in in this depiction they've taken it very literally, and they've <laughs> uh, shown naked uh, Noah there, drunk and and you know passed out, and uh, Ham here feels bad that it's come to this and he leaves and he's he's thrown down the little pouch that contains the snakeskin now mm -hmm. uh, going by what Tubal Cain has been teaching him I can imagine that the snakeskin for him also represented uh, dominion over the earth and I see Ham as just giving up on the whole premise when he sees Noah mm -hmm. and thinks, well, this is, this is my respected father. You know, this is the man that I grew up wanting to be like. And, you know, when I see him in disgrace here, I, I don't want to end up like that. You know, if, 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 if this is what it takes to be the guy in charge of the world, then, you know, it's not going to be me. And he throws that symbol of dominion down and walks away mm -hmm. and now he's prepared to abandon the the family and disappear into the, the wilderness right uh, it's a very different take to the biblical one um but it's probably safer for uh for a pg audience <laughs> uh because <laughs> in the uh in in the in the biblical narrative uh to see someone's nakedness was not to just happen to see them without any any gear on um in that context um that would have been a situation where uh ham had attempted to usurp his father's authority and take dominion over the world by actually sleeping with noah's wife mm -hmm. and um that's why we get told so many times that uh ham was the father of canaan like that that little phrase gets repeated a few times um, to illustrate that that's where Canaan came from, that he, he wasn't uh, born from Ham's wife. So that's one of those things we miss because it's just those cultural expressions and the idioms and the, you know, the turn of speech that, that we miss as modern readers. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, the way that it's, it's portrayed here is, is very literal and, uh, 
yeah, probably easier on, on viewers, I'd say. It's a very controversial film as it is. Um, so I suppose you got to pick your battles. <laughs> <laughs> but there, there was also a lot of controversy about the, the casting of this because everybody's white. That's true. Um, and, you know, people were uh, a bit upset that we didn't have more uh, representation of people of colour and, you know, a bit of diversity. Um, I, I would point out, though, uh, to be faithful to the story, like they're all from the same place. Yeah, there's, there's no um, diversity in no in any world. I mean, <laughs> no, and then there were traditions that arose uh, long after the fact that suggested that uh, that Ham's uh, sorry that that Noah's sons were all uh, of different coloured skin, um, which I think was just you know a fabrication to attempt to have a biblical way to explain the fact that people do have different skin colours. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is a, pre, a pre-scientific understanding, of course, and, you know, we, we, we know now the factors that contribute to uh, different uh, racial characteristics. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think it was wise to, uh, to not attempt to, um, to sort of, you know, portray different races and, and that sort of thing in this situation. Yeah, the, the, and that would be too easy to even uh, to misinterpret. If we do have different yeah. races, then why is the uh, why is the African American portrayed this way? Why are the white people portrayed this way? Why are you know why are Asians portrayed this other way? It, it would yeah. be really difficult to give not just bring other races into this war, into this movie but then put them in situations that's not offensive in other ways you know yeah, and right. again if we're trying I, I know people right now want to diversify things and i do too i want to, diversity in all kinds of things but uh, yeah. right now let's just talk about this right now we can deal with that other times but uh you know if you're going to make a noah movie then everyone has. Then you can't di- be diverse, you know. I, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but I mean, well, everyone, yeah, everyone has to be of one race. So if you're going to yeah. bring African Americans into the movie, then everyone has to be African American. If you know, it's just that's how the story has to be told. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I've got to be faithful to the story. Yeah. And, uh... You know, there's, there's probably enough people arguing that it's not faithful enough to the story. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, why, why make it harder? Right. Uh, I love this scene where the, uh, you know, Noah and his wife are reconciled after some time apart, and mm-hmm. then we have this blessing of the family, and uh, this is a beautiful uh, scene. Right. And... Uh, Noah brings out the snake skin, and uh, see when he talks about it, he talks about it as a birthright, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to some sort of a, a symbol of dominion. Right. And uh, you see, he he wraps it around his hand, around his arm. This is very much like the way that the Jews uh, use the uh, phylacteries. You know, those little boxes that they have with scripture. Uh, verses written in them, and they tie them around their wrist, and they tie them on their foreheads, and um, you know it's in keeping with um, 
one of the uh, commands of the Torah that they keep the uh, the, the word of God um, close at hand at all times, you know. Mm-hmm. And and he's done this, and and as he goes through this little ceremony here, and he uh, imbues these children with responsibility and blessing. Mm-hmm. He is paraphrasing scripture as he does it. So uh, it's very much in keeping with that idea of, uh, you know, keeping the, the scripture close to you as you uh, go about uh, the Lord's work. And it's framed in terms of a responsibility and a blessing rather than a command of dominion. Yeah. And uh, here we have that beautiful rainbow right at the end. I've never seen a rainbow like that. I thought that was an interesting take on the <laughs> on the rainbow. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, they're rings basically around the earth, as opposed to an you know a bow. But you know, sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I th- I think it's sort of. Uh, intended to show a very definite sign from God as opposed to like, you know, yeah, this is what happens every time you sprinkle some water. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's sort of like the only time you actually get some communication from God. Right. In the whole film, right at the end. Yeah. And we, ha- I mean, that's that's kind of a beautiful, I mean, it is a beautiful metaphor in the Bible. You know, yeah. it's not just a beautiful thing to see. But it also represents God putting down his weapon. That's know? right. And yeah. that that's a constant, you know, metaphor in the Bible. You know, he will bring he will break weapons down and turn them into, you know, into farming equipment. He will you know weapons are you know necessary but are always seen as bad. Yeah, you know, and so I don't know. It's, it's people try to interpret them in many different ways, and I think that uh, we we sometimes we take things too far. <laughs> we over we overthink things. Yeah, well, you know, I think it shows uh, that that what uh, what God wanted of of Noah. Mm-hmm. Was you know, for him to eventually put down the weapon. Yeah, and you know, enough's enough. The job's done, and it's only after we finally see Noah kind of break when you know the uh, the compassion with within him overrides uh, that sense of duty. Yeah. That finally, uh, God then uh, does the same. Like, yeah, I probably worded that pretty clumsily, but um, no, no, I think we got yeah, so, makes sense. So yeah, it sort of comes to an end, and 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 now it's done as God would do. You know the. The, the task is complete, and now it's time to rebuild. Mm-hmm. So well, overall, 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Overall, you'll like this movie. I think I do too. Yeah. Yeah, I I probably like it for um for for different reasons than um for the reasons that I hoped to have when I you know first watched it. Sure. <laughs> um, you know, initially I thought, well, you know, I'm I'm going to go see a Bible story uh, played out on the silver screen, and um, it turned out to be less that and 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 more. Uh, you know, t- tradition um, around the story, uh, infused with uh, you know some imagination and some some sympathy for these characters that aren't really explained much or developed in in the biblical text. Yeah. Um, so it's you know it's it is substantially elaborated on, <laughs> but I th- I think that um, the director is really made a genuine effort to uh, treat the characters with respect. Um, and I especially appreciated that uh, there was no attempt made to depict God. Um, and what we saw of him was just, you know, what the characters uh, saw of him. Yeah. It, it, it's very difficult to do that. If you try to depict God in any kind of way, it's... You're either going to, you know, overdo it or underdo it, and yeah, yeah, you're breaking the law. <laughs> yeah, break the law. <laughs> so yeah. there you go. Um, so yeah, anything else you want to add at to the end? What what should our takeaway be when it comes to either the movie or the story of the Bible? When it comes to the story of Noah, mm. I know I'm giving well, you a huge question. well there are a lot of things i could say but i think one of the lines that really struck me from the film was when uh noah uh watching uh, ham uh, walking away and and he's speaking to ila um he broke you know, he's talking about Ham and his disillusionment and everything else. But I think really inside he was talking about himself as well. Mm. And, you know, here's this guy who, you know, has <laughs> practically been through hell. Yeah. Doing God's work. He's been through so much. And, uh, yeah, I thought it was um, it was interesting hearing... So many people say that they're upset with the portrayal of Noah, um, that he was made out to be a madman and a, and a drunkard and and all that. And I thought, well, could you really endure what he did mm. and come out in better shape? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and I think of people who in all sorts of capacities are doing the Lord's work in areas that are too uncomfortable for us, where we don't want to get our hands dirty, where the task requires more than we've got the guts to do. Mm-hmm. And and how do we treat those people, you know, when, when we see the toll it takes on them to do it? Right. 
you know, so I, I think that that's a message we can take away and just consider those around us in our community hmm. and just consider that we're all frail as humans. Yeah. And, you know, we can, we can all have a breaking point and feel like we're failing even when we're doing good. Yeah, I, I there's uh, somebody, I mean, the, the idea that God will never give us more than we can handle, that's not biblical. No, first of all, not. First of all, God doesn't give us, doesn't put us in those situations. The world does. All God does is try to get us through it. He gives us the strength to do it. And, you know, to say that is, on one hand, to say that God puts us in those situations, which is a lie. And then, you know, if we, come, if we fall short, then it's because God failed. Neither of those things are true. You yeah. know? So we have to remember that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, that's the end of the movie. This was great. Yeah. I this was a great conversation. I love having it. Yeah, I really enjoyed this. Yeah, this is really fun. I I, I I love doing this podcast. I have to say, I love the people that I talk to. I love the movies that we watch. It is fantastic. So yeah, I can imagine you have a great time every time. Yeah, I mean, I love movies. So a podcast in which I get to watch movies. That's yeah, you know, that's always awesome. great. So, yeah. so where can we find you? I, we're going to talk about this, uh, you know, everywhere. So, but just a reminder at oh, the yeah. end, where can we find you yeah. online? Sure. So the the website is giantanswers.com. dot com, mm -hmm. and uh, you head to the website. You can't miss it. There are links to uh, be able to grab the book, which is called Answers to Giant Questions. And uh, yeah, that's basically. Um, to, to summarize, a, a book that I wrote for um, for Christians who are looking for a better understanding of what the Bible actually says about these uh, giants mm -hmm. and why it matters for uh, for us to know about, um, and all sorts of fascinating insights in there from the ancient world, diving into um, ancient cultures and their literature, and understanding how they interpreted the biblical text and the supernatural worldview um, that they held and um, so yeah the idea is uh, by diving into all that stuff um, we'll come out better equipped as Christians to understand and respect the image of God in humanity mm -hmm. and uh, to treat one another better as a result yeah, again, I, what I love about that is not just understanding the giants, but why we should know it. So, yeah, everything yeah, that's <laughs> that was that was a driving factor for me because I, I found so many books that wanted to give you cool stories about giants and they wanted to talk it up and dramatize the whole thing and make it really exciting. Well, it's exciting anyway. Like, what we really need is why does it matter? Why is it important? Why is it even in the Bible anyway? Mm -hmm. You know, so in the absence of anything uh, satisfactory, I decided to write my own. Yeah. So thank you very much for being here. 
if you were listening to the podcast and has, haven't seen the movie, I recommend seeing the movie. Uh, if I, I, I recommend you check out this book. I, in fact, I recommend anytime you ask a question about where, you know, trying to figure something out from the Bible, you should always ask yourself, why do I need to know this? Why does God want me to know this? So there you go. So thank you. Thank you so much, Tim, for joining us. Oh, thanks very much, Joe. Yeah, it was a real pleasure. Yeah, this was awesome. So thank you all for joining us. Uh, please check out the movie. Thank you for checking out the podcast. And as always, uh, we'll catch you next time. Bye. See you at the movies. Bye. Yeah. You've been listening to the Commentarians Podcast, a Raven Creek Social Club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review on iTunes. If you'd like to support our show, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash thecommentarians. Thank you for listening, and until next time, remember, movies are a reflection of our lives and of other people's lives, and we get to experience them together. Come back to the movies with us. We love sharing them with you.